Hi, I'm Michael. I'm an autistic person, but I am only one autistic person. And a motto of the autistic community is if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Um, my perspective doesn't speak for the entire community as it comes from only my own personal experience as an autistic person. I will talk about common trends and generally accepted ideas about autism, as well as things that I have read or researched on my own. But I will assert first and foremost that I am still learning and I hope to always be learning. Anything I discuss here is for the purpose of starting a conversation, and I hope that those listening will use it as such and continue their journey of learning as well. I also know there is a lot of mystification, mystery, and misinformation around autism. I know that those listening, as well as those that I talk to, will not know everything, and I certainly don't know everything myself. However, I have always had a standing policy to not be judgmental of someone for not knowing something that is not commonly understood. Ignorance is not a damnable offense, and I want this to be a safe and open forum where people are not afraid to ask questions for fear of sounding stupid or anything like that. I will do my best to explore the question and surrounding context, and if it is something that can be rephrased better, I will try to offer that. I would rather someone ask the question the wrong way and get the right information than be too afraid to ask the question in the first place. Lastly, this podcast does contain adult language and adult themes, so viewer discretion is advised. Hello, I'm Michael. I am an autistic person, and this is Ask an Autistic Person. So um, I'd like to start off just asking um, you who you are, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Wesley. I am not an autistic person, but am friends with one, i.e. Michael. Yeah. And uh, we've actually been friends for nine years. Um, I wanted to have you on the podcast because you are the person that I've been friends with for the longest period of time in my life, um, which I take pride in as like a personal achievement and also uh, I'm very grateful to you for uh, having had you in my life for that long. And so I wanted to bring you on and uh, get to talk to you about, um, you've seen me evolve a lot as a person um, throughout my life, especially through, we met in college. So through those college years, which is a big formative experience for me. So I thought you'd be a great person to talk to, um, to get some perspective for me, from your side of things, and for you, from my side of things, and uh, see if we can just kind of talk about what that's been like. Definitely. I always think that if you can make it past like five to seven years and still be really good friends with somebody, at that point, you've pretty much made it. Like you've gone through, everybody I feel like goes through an extreme amount of growth in those amount of years, mm -hmm. usually. So if you if you make it to that point and you've gone through various different personal changes in yourself and you are still this close as we are, like we're, we've got it in the bag. Yeah, yeah. Like I think about previous relationships and they're like, you know, three year, five year, seven year relationships. And you're like, you get to know a person a lot in that time because that amount of time is enough time for someone to change as a person and you get to know like what was temporary and what is maybe a more permanent personality trait and you really really get to know them and like yeah if you can stick it through all of those things you're like 
okay, we're like fundamentally on the same page and like this is going to work out. Um, I think that's a really good, uh, really good perspective on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I have one uh, loaded question for you that I'm going to actually ask you first and then you can ask the autistic person whatever you'd like. Um, of course, of course. Which is, um, so when I told you I was autistic or when you found out, because I don't know if there was a defining like moment where I like said in concrete terms that I was autistic, but I, I feel like it happened at some point. But when you found out that I was autistic, what did you think that meant? So it's really fascinating because you see all these depictions of autism in media and how incredibly exaggerated and oftentimes uninformed they are because they are depictions of autism as told not through autistic voices. Mm -hmm. So it, it at, at some fundamental level, you know that like, while there may be like an element of truth here or there to it, it's taken out of context. It's not really explored or understood. Um, and so knowing that's not right, but not having any kind of context in terms of like close personal relationships with somebody who um, openly was autistic and like actually talked about it. Um, when Whenever that started happening, it, it really made me kind of like look in and like reevaluate some of that because it, it made me pause and go, I actually really don't know what that is at all. I have no idea what that looks like. I have no idea what that means, what that feels like, how that affects them, how that affects them in terms of other people. Um, it, it opened my eyes to how much we have relied on those false representations mm -hmm. to just spread the message without actually talking about it. And more importantly, without actually like hearing about it. Um, so, so it was very eye-opening to me because it, it made me, it made me actively like stop and consider how many societal falsehoods had been told to me about autism. And so it, it really made me kind of like stop for a second. Like, and it was like, as we, uh, like, as we continued to talk about it and as you continued to talk about it and be open about it, um, it was something to me that like really kind of made me pause for a second and be much more receptive. Like I, I, I had to actively, I had to actively put myself in a receptive mindset so many times um, after that because I, I wanted to, I, I realized that I had no concept. Okay. I, I had realized that I like just didn't know. Yeah. Um, so that kind of brings to mind, I guess, two more questions from me, I guess. So what were your like references previously? You talked about in the media, 
Um, do you have like specific references in the media that you thought were autism? And then on kind of the flip side of that, what was maybe something that you learned from me that you didn't like realize was connected to that? So I, I don't know if I could necessarily point to a specific reference. Um, to be fair, a lot of the reason for that is they were all wrong as hell. So I, I probably did a good job of blocking that out of like- And they didn't label it until like very recently with like, there's some Netflix shows and stuff now that are like, oh, this is an autistic person. There were like, and it's a separate soapbox for me, but there were like other characters that you're like, they're probably autistic, but they won't say it because they either don't know or they don't want to label it, but. Or, or they would, um, uh, one of the things that was so often done is they used um, they used the, the the term mentally challenged. They mm -hmm. used that a lot in media, and it's or like let me let me back up a second. Is that is just yeah. a whole lot to unpack and how incredibly like harmful and it's like it's like technically correct. I do have many challenges <clears throat> mentally that I have to work through. But there's so much like baggage and context. That's, related that's I was like, that's, that's together. <laughs> there's so much to unpack from yeah. that being the way that you referred to uh, people on the autism spectrum. And it was just like, I. And, and the language has evolved a lot too. I know one that I like a lot. Have you seen um, Community? Mm -hmm. So Abed was actually one of the first characters that I ever like felt like I saw myself represented on screen. And the most they ever say in the show is that he has some sort of developmental disorder, which autism spectrum disorder is like a developmental disorder. Um, and so it's like, he was an autistic character, but they maybe didn't know that he was autistic in order to label him as such, but they were like trying to like put him in a, like a, a broad bucket or something. Um, I think I like I like Abed a lot, and I think it's I think he's a very interesting character, and he's uh he's like celebrated and empowered for being weird, which is mm -hmm. so I enjoyed him. And that's that's a great way to put it because so often we saw those like we want to give it this nebulous broad term without actually like addressing it or acknowledging it, and so it was very often it was. It was special needs. It was mentally challenged. Um, it was developmentally challenged. Like there were all of these ways to talk about it without actually talking about it. And in so many ways that always felt wrong. And like, they were all like technically correct terms but that got so over stigmatized because people didn't want to talk about it. And so it's something for me that's become like kind of empowering a bit um in the same way like when i came out as gay like the more i said that i'm gay it felt like this rebellious phrase and i'm like forcing you to like reconcile with that and like think about it think about what gay means to you that i feel kind of the same way about every time i'm in mixed company and i'm like i'm autistic and people are like i don't know what that means really but now i have to think about autism and consider what that means for myself and i'm like yeah yeah, you do. I yeah, that's the point. And I'm going to force you to reconcile with these thoughts. And so, yeah, it's been like more empowering to me to 
have language that I can use for one and not language that feels positive. For me, autistic feels like such a positive word. It's been a nasty word for a very long time. And it was for me as well. I had to grow through that. Um, and like, I talk about taking ownership of my autism when I was around like 20, 21, when I kind of realized, oh, this is something that's gonna like, I remember I read an article about these like autistic adults. Um, and I had never seen like autistic adult representation in the media. Um, mm -hmm. And they're just talking about like, this is how I get through my normal everyday life because autism makes certain things more challenging. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I have, I, I have some of that now and some of that very soon I'm gonna have to deal with. And I had to be like, okay, I have to actually start working with this autism thing and figuring it out. Um, and so that it became this, positive word um as opposed to like developmentally challenged you know special needs which i was as a kid and i what and i'm not going to deny that i was developmentally challenged in special needs i had to have like special accommodations school i went through a lot of occupational therapy i did all of this stuff because boy howdy i was not having a good time i, I was not a good kid i was not behaving very well but it wasn't because it wasn't because i was a bad kid it was because i had these challenges and i needed support in certain areas and so now i have this cool word autistic that's like that doesn't have well it has a lot of stigma and context but it's kind of like reclaiming it a little bit i guess um but it doesn't have like the mentally challenged is like already like this loaded term that's like negative autistic i think can exist kind of neutrally and i can it's, it's less of an uphill battle against the stigma for it for me to be like, I'm autistic and I think it's really cool. Um, not to say that I don't have those challenges, but I can also like show off all the cool stuff I can do. And that, that, that right there so perfectly captures how I had to navigate so much societal baggage that I knew was wrong and I knew was incorrect but was the only it was the only reference that I had mm -hmm. so like upon learning that for the first time it became that moment of like okay this is the moment this is it right here you literally are friends with someone who is autistic you have known them this entire time. It is completely fundamental in who they are. And I was autistic the whole time. Exactly. Like, that's, like, yeah, that's, like, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's fundamental to who you are. So take everything that people have said before, throw it the fuck out the window. But, but that, was, that was one of the biggest things is um, immediately realizing like, okay, cool. Now, now's the time to figure out what that means like now is the time to like actually listen and mm. and learn because as is now evident you are not the only autistic person in my life you will never be just the only autistic person in my life and I as, as you said every single autistic person is going to be different you meet one autistic person you've met one autistic person and it's going to be completely different experiences for every single person that's just life in general mm -hmm. um 
whether you are neurodivergent or not, like it, it's going to be the same, like every single person is gonna have a completely different perspective. Um, and so it really, it really gave me a chance to go like, okay, let's like actually put in the work now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, it maybe got like half answered, but the, uh, I had the other half of my question, which is, is there something that like, you've learned through interacting with me or was there like an aha moment anything like that um i i don't know if there was necessarily a moment but it was it was listening to you evaluating our time together evaluating the time that we have spent together um and having a greater idea of how you operate and you function um, on a uh, like on a, on a level with emotional connection, on a level with mental connection. Um, and being able to evaluate that and understand that the way that you are going to approach a situation is on some level fundamentally impacted by the fact that you are autistic um it, it made so much make sense because they like on some level the ways in which you operate are going to be very fundamentally different than the ways yeah. that I operate and ways of breaking down concepts and trying to understand or like work through all sorts of different things has, has really shown me that like it, at the end of the day, it's always a part of you, but like you are, you are that and so much more. Like it, yeah. is, it is all, it is all a part of you. So even though it is a fundamental part of the way in which you process and uh, like address information, anything like that, um, that it's not, it is not your sole identifier. You are also a gay man. You are also uh, a, this is a, yeah. Yeah. Like, like so there, it, it is just one of the ways that informs how you operate and how you function. Yeah, I've, I've gotten that a lot. And I, I kind of like hearing it when someone is like, oh, when, like, when you said you're autistic, all of a sudden this stuff made sense. And I was like, yeah, because, well, one, I had the same experience a little bit. Like, I knew I was autistic the whole time, but, like, I talked about that moment of taking ownership. It was, like, I had that same aha moment where I was, like, oh, all of this stuff makes sense. Like, this this way that I behave, this thing that I do, like, makes so much more sense now that I've, like, put a word on it, right? Um, and so, yeah, I, I like that, like, oh, just across the board, like, things start to, like, fall into place. Um, when you start learning about what autism is and how it affects me and like, yeah, that like my being gay is being, di is different 
because I'm autistic, I'm an autistic gay person. It's not the same as a gay person, but it's also, yeah, like you said, like I'm autistic uh, and everything else all at the same time. Um, I wanted to get to uh, the, the point of the podcast, which is uh, to let you ask me a question. So um, I will open the floor for you. Um, what would you like to ask an autistic person? Yeah, so um, I, I had thought a bit about what I wanted to ask and I wanted to address. We, we've talked a little bit about this uh, today, like as we've been talking, um, but one of the biggest questions I had was what were the what were the anxieties and pressures that you had in terms of being open and upfront about being autistic whenever it comes to like creating relationships and friendships and connections with others oh. because um in in a way, um, as as both of us are uh, uh, members of the LGBTQIA two plus community, we have to come out society mm -hmm. in some form yeah. or fashion. Even if it's something that we know from a very young age, we have to come out and we have to announce our identities. And in many ways, those are fluid identities that we continue to develop and work on over the years. Um, but uh, in many ways, we have to come out. And from the ways in which you've talked about uh, developing your, your friendships and relationships, it almost sounds like you had to come out a second time. Yes. As a, both as a gay man and autistic. So, although I, lo I love this question, this is a wonderful question. And you already caught on, this is the way that I talk about it, as I talk about coming out as autistic. Um, because I feel like it's a more understandable parallel, but also I know that as a gay person and an autistic person and who's had both of those experiences, I'm like, they're basically the same thing, right? So um, yeah, so like coming out as gay, coming out as autistic, it feels pretty much the same because gay, everybody has this like concept, this idea of what it means based on what they've seen in the media or that one gay friend they had or whatever that like these like very narrow experiences right and so they had this idea of oh this is what being gay is right and so you walk into a room and you know that every single person has like a slightly different idea of what that means and there is a lot of anxiety of like okay I'm gonna announce this and I'm gonna let them know that I'm gay and then they're immediately going to put all of these different like context and ideas and thoughts and you know patterns of behavior whatever like preconceived ideas that they have and those are immediately going to be put onto me and I don't know what they are because I don't know their unique experiences and now I have to in like identifying with my truth I now have to take whatever their truth is and like unpack it and be like, oh, actually that part doesn't really fit for me. Um, I don't really ascribe to that train of thought or whatever. Um, and it's, so it's the same thing with like being autistic. You know, I, I meet people like, oh, I had like an autistic friend when I was younger or 
you know, I used to teach a special needs class and things like that. And so kind of, you know, we talk about the spectrum of the autism spectrum as well as the spectrum of like gender and sexuality. They're both broad spectrums and the people fall at any number of places along them. And it's not even like a, it's not like a one end to the other. It's like a, a radial spectrum that spreads out infinitely in all directions, right? So I have to kind of deal with, oh, well, that one autistic person that you knew, uh, I'm probably not like them, right? Again, going back to the, you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person, right? So I'm probably not like them. And now I have to like redefine autism for you every time that I come out. Um, and you talked about the anxiety of it is very much there as well of, I have to be very like particular about who I come out to, when and where and in what company and in what context. Um, the same way like growing up in the South as a gay man and as having the privilege to be passable if I choose. Um, I've had, you know, I had, you know, when I was in college and stuff, before I started being much more flamboyant and openly gay and like piercing my ears and painting my nails and being like queer as fuck, right? <laughs> um, and like, again, like forcing people to reconcile with that because I take pride in that. Um, but there were, you know, work environments and school environments and like, um, personal and professional relationships where I was like, oh, I'm just going to kind of not bring that up. Um, <clears throat> where I had the same thing with jobs. They have, um, and I don't know if I should be checking this box or not, but there, there's always that thing in the job application that's like, do you have a disability and check the box or whatever, um, which like gives them information and in like legally they're not allowed to like discriminate based on that that's like a federal thing but they like collect that information for i don't know census or whatever they use it for um but autism is one of the disabilities listed there and i don't check that box and it's partially because i know that i can get by without people knowing that i'm autistic um i know that i often don't need as many accommodations as other autistic people might um, it'd probably be nice if I did, because I think I've been very, very stressed out at a lot of jobs where I'm like, if I could just tell them like, I'm autistic and I need you to do this a little differently. So it's not so hard for me. Um, but you know, you're scared of, are they going to treat me differently because of that? Um, and you don't know if that's good, if that differently is going to be positive or negative. So I often don't come out at work, but I come out in personal relationships. I've started doing it like immediately. Um, I've realized as like we talked about, we've been friends for nine years. I have friends that I was friends with for five years or two years or seven years um, that I'm not friends with anymore. And a lot of them, as I've kind of looked back at the friendships, whether it was apparent at the time or is more apparent in reflection, it often came down to a like clashing of personalities. And I'm like, I just can't get along with this person in a way that's sustainable. And some more like concretely than others, I feel was had to do with I'm autistic and they 
didn't want to learn. They didn't want to change their mindset to be open and receptive and maybe change their ideas and perspectives about what an autistic person is. Or I had some people that were just entirely dismissive, like, oh, I'm not gonna let that define you. And I'm like, well, what? that's not your decision. I'm choosing to make, it defines me and I'm telling you it defines me. So I need you to reconcile that. And they don't. And so I'm like, it doesn't work out. And so to save myself a lot of grief and a lot of stress of like building up this relationship for a certain amount of time and being like, is now the right time to tell them that I'm autistic and hope that it works out. I'm like, no, fuck it. It's like, it's in my profile. It's the first line, you know, in my bio or whatever, like I'm gay, I'm autistic and I'm a big nerd. <laughs> I was like, I need you to get on board with those three things really quickly or it's not gonna work out. Um, and so if it scares people off, it's that's fine. I don't have to like personally deal with the loss of a relationship because they're like, I can't deal with you being autistic. Or if it is intriguing to them and they're like, I noticed that you put this in your bio, like tell me more about that. Then I'm like, awesome maybe we can get on board and like it's like opens a conversation but the biggest thing is like there's not going to be any longevity to our relationship if you can't like be open to the idea of autism and learning about it um and i'm an advocate for myself first and foremost i will I have a running Google document. Like I will send you articles. I will send you memes. If you look on my Facebook feed, I just constantly like shit post about autism and stuff like that. Um, like I will help you learn, but if you're not open to doing so, it's not gonna be worth my time. So I've started coming out sooner and more blatantly, but mostly only in personal relationships. I still don't bring it up at work, um, I sometimes don't even come out as gay at work um, because first I have like three different jobs right now, but um, one of them, it's like, feels like a super safe, wonderful environment. And I feel like my being gay helps um, add to that experience where um, I work as a simulated patient for medical school and we're teaching medical students how to like find the patient story and learn about different patients and diverse groups of patients. So some of the patients that I portray have a same-sex partner. And so, um, and I even did a case where the patient was non-binary and we had to correct them on our pronouns. And so I go into that and I'm like, my identity as a gay person is important here and feels like it adds to the experience. So and I love the job because I get to be openly gay at my job. Um, not that I'm running around waving flags or anything, but I can just say like, oh yeah, my boyfriend or blah, 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 like casually drop words like that in a conversation and not like have that moment where you seize up and you're like, I threw it out there. And like, is anyone catching it? Do I need to leave? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's like just as scary, I feel, but just as important to me and just as rewarding when it like goes well. And I, I really loved what you said about the fact that 
it is a part of you. Like it, it is a fundamental part of who you are and you embrace it and you celebrate it. And that in and of itself is something that people are just gonna have to like accept and like make, like it is you. Mm-hmm. It is not the only part of you, but like surprise y'all, it's, it's gonna be a thing. So either like you accept for who you are in its entirety, or there's the door. Like yeah. it's 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 gonna be fine. There will be other friendships, there will be other relationships, there will be other opportunities. This reminds me of and in non-specific terms, but you'll know exactly who I'm talking about because you've known me for nine years and you've known basically all of my friends. Um, but I did have a, I had a friendship that ended um, after a very long time and it didn't end in this moment, but I knew the friendship was over in this moment. And it was when um, I was at a group gathering back when we could have those. Um, I was at a group gathering amongst friends and I had, uh, I was talking to a different friend and we were talking about mental health. Um, she was talking about um, like her struggles with mental health. I was talking about my struggles with mental health, which obviously brings up the topic of autism because that's part of it. Um, I have you know anxiety and OCD and uh, all of these other things going on, but it kind of all falls into my wonderful little umbrella, which is autism. Um, and so we were talking about like anxiety and things like that. And it, this was someone that I had like met like earlier that day. And to give an idea of, again, how upfront I'm about this stuff is I will bring it up in our first conversation. Um, and we're still, we're still friends to this day, that, that person, because we had this really cool open conversation and we're very receptive to each other. Um, but afterwards, this other friend who I'm no longer friends with, they had messaged me privately and was, uh, and said, you know, when you talk about autism so much, they're like, they said, you shouldn't talk about autism so much. When you do that, it alienates other people. As in like, it makes them feel uncomfortable around me and like, they don't want to talk about it. And I was like, I had, I guess, two reactions. One, which is my, my more formally uh, presented, uh, like, uh, I, I can't, I can't think of the word right now. But like, my more formal response, which is like, um, well, you know, if you're not open to talking about autism, I don't necessarily want to have a conversation with you um, in the politest way possible. But then, my like knee jerk, like gut reaction was like excuse me you're gonna tell me that I am making everyone else in the room feel alienated when I'm autistic I have felt alienated every single day in every (laughs) single room I've ever been in for my whole life and I'm finally at a place where like I can assert I, I have the confidence I have the like tools and like the language in which to assert myself in a space and feel like I can make myself belong after 22 years of feeling like I didn't belong in any space that I ever walked into because I'm like everybody here is different than me because well I'm the different one and I don't fit in anywhere it was like it was infuriating to hear that word be like that I alienate other people I'm like 
and so that was the moment that I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. Like this yep. is not going to work if, if you think that me talking about myself in the most authentic and genuine way that I can is alienating to you. And then to like have the audacity to extend that to other people when I'm like, I was literally talking to a stranger about autism and they were like, yeah, I love this topic. So there was at least one person in that room that wasn't feeling alienated. So you're already wrong, but then also just as the audacity to come at me with that and like, and not acknowledge my like lived experiences of uh, 20 plus years. Like, sure, go ahead and make some wild, baseless statements and for the sake of so many other people who, yeah. one, also had the ability to say something if that was really something that they yeah. felt. Didn't and two, <laughs> two, you were already proven wrong because guess what? I now still have a lasting friendship with this person who I actively talked about being autistic with because they wanted to get to know me. Yeah. And that is me. That's like, getting to know me. That's one of the first steps in getting to know, or I've, I've made it, I've consciously made it the first step in getting to know me is like, you need to get to know about autism because I'm at a, I'm at a point in my life and maybe, maybe I'll get older and I'll mellow out a little bit, but I'm in my twenties and full of like fire and brimstone. So I'm like, I'm at a point in my life, where I'm talking about autism all the time. This is like one of the most important things to me right now so uh, that's the first step getting to know me is being on board with that i'm right here as a fire sign and a sagittarius i am that person that's like no no i'm gonna let you know my opinion 100 i'll because of all of my background and like customer service and all of that like mm -hmm. i can be polite about it i'll be i'll be very very controlled and i can be very very held together but mm -hmm. let me tell you, if if that opinion is going to come out, that opinion is going to come out. And one of the things that that opinion is going to come out about is myself, because guess what? I freaking love myself and I love everything I stand for. So if you're going to bring that into question at all, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And I do want to make it clear that sim simply these people not understanding autism was not the deal breaker in the relationship it was the like I, I work very much on patterns of behavior um i i forgive but i don't forget and in like the nicest way possible like i i will forgive you for something if you've apologized and changed behavior but i will remember what your behavior was like and because it doesn't change then like I, then we're establishing a pattern so this was a a pattern of relationship, uh, a pattern of behavior with this friend and this relationship that they were not making the effort to understand me or meet me halfway. And, and that's where I will like draw the line because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to beat my head against the wall trying to make you understand me. If you are open and receptive to understanding me, again, kind of tying back to uh, the beginning of the podcast talking about, um, it's okay to be ignorant. Like, if you don't know about autism, I will do everything in my power to help you learn about autism as a whole, like through articles and extended reading, because I'm not, you know, I'm not the sole like opinion or uh, viewpoint on autism, 
but I will let you learn about it as a whole and I'll recommend you know extended learning for you. Um, but I'll also let you learn about my autism and how it affects me. Um, like that's okay. An ignorant question is okay or coming from a place of ignorance is okay because for me, ignorance is not a dirty word. It, by definition, just means that you do not know something and you can't really fault someone for something that they don't know. I can and will fault someone for not wanting to learn something that they should know you know, the same way, uh, you know, I, 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 like, if you're not willing to learn about something, then what's the point in me trying to help, help you learn, right? And that's the, that's, that's the biggest goal. part of it. Like, you are already incredibly generous with your patience and understanding in trying to help others alleviate their ignorances mm -hmm. and and like that is a very commendable thing because there is like we've discussed a lot of misinformation out there especially about uh the spectrum of autism um like we've like we've pointed out before there's a lot of people who just go like oh i saw this one representation of this character in this tv show and they said that this character was special needs so that's the only interpretation that i've ever seen depicted Mm -hmm. um and and on some fundamental level I, I understand the desire for for patience and for education and for understanding but also at the end of the day that's a two-way street and they have got to do their part as well yeah. because then it becomes willful ignorance and that is where it becomes a problem yeah that, the that's... point when the point when somebody doesn't want to actually do their part to be better mm -hmm. because we're not saying that if you say something ignorant you are a bad person we're not saying that no. nobody has ever said that especially when it comes to autism whenever it comes to queer identities like not knowing and being ignorant and calling somebody out on like, hey, that's an ignorant statement. This is how it should be said. This is what you need to like keep in mind. Those are fine. And we're not saying that you're bad for saying those things in the first place. We're gonna say you're bad when you don't care to actually try to learn more and try to be better. All we're asking is just be better. And yeah, and, and it's not like, like if you don't want to learn about autism and you don't want to interact with autistic people in life, it's honestly, it's no skin off my back. I, I think you should. I think it's important, especially because uh, a much larger population uh, percentage of the population than you might expect is on the autism spectrum. So I think you should have some consideration for other people's you know thoughts and feelings and needs. But if you don't want to, fine, but be upfront about that and just let me know and we'll we'll chips in the night will go our separate ways but if you do want to learn i want to help you i i do have a lot of patience that's why i i felt like this podcast was a good idea it's like i have a lot of patience and i have heard just about everything um i've played video games for almost my entire life and i've been called all of the slurs as both a gay man and an autistic person um i've been called 
many mean things that are very deeply personal to me um, online by strangers. And so I've developed, I guess, a bit of a thick skin about that. Now, I don't want anyone to necessarily come in swinging, but like I will, I will take the time to like parse through something or work through something with you. Uh, if you, if you make an ignorant statement, like I've had, I've had people say something, or I had a, a specific instance of somebody who called me autistic in a, in a, in like the wrong way, but that was technically true. I was talking about, um, it was, I was talking about like, I enjoy collecting things and um, I find that a lot of fun. And I, I think I used the words, it makes my brain happy, which is like, is a very, it's a very autistic thing to say, um, but it, it feels very true to me. Cause it's like, oh, I, I put, so, I did something and now my brain is like, yeah, we like that. Um, which I guess is dopamine being released or whatever. But the, the way I said it was like, it makes my brain happy. And they were like, oh, somebody's autistic. And the way they said it was like, it, it felt a little of like a loaded comment um, and kind of like jokey. And it was obviously not meant to offend. And it was clearly meant as a joke. And it was also technically not like not untrue. So, it, and it was like, you, you're right. And like, you also like correctly identified an autistic trait or, or noticed that in me, right? But you didn't say it the right way. So it's like, but rather than being like, oh, we don't make comments like that, that's offensive. I would rather have a conversation and be like, hey, technically you're right. I am autistic. You didn't know that before just now. Um, but you were right, I am autistic, but the way that you said it is maybe not, um, not the nicest way and, and could perpetuate like a, a negative view of being autistic in like, in the way that you kind of made it a joke as, like as an offhand comment. The so, way they said it wasn't, hey, that's an autistic trait. The way they said it was, I'm going to I'm going to say this in like a highly negative connotation towards you. Yeah. Like okay. It, it was something that like I wasn't offended by the comment at all because I was like you're right. I am. But but I knew that it, in the way that they said it that I was like I don't think that they know the full implications of that. Um but, but I want to talk about it. Hey, you, uh, the other thing was like, hey, you brought autism into this conversation. And so me, I was like, an opportunity to talk about autism? I'm going to jump on that. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> I didn't open the door this time, but I'm going to step right on through that one. I've No, I've, I've loved that in some friends that I've made more recently that um, even in mixed company have like talked to me and been like, hey, you're autistic, right? Can you tell me about blah, 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 or whatever? And like opened up a door in a conversation for me to talk about autism without me having to feel like I'm forcing this on other people, um, right? And alienating people, right? <laughs> um, but I mean, I do understand not everybody wants to talk about autism all the time, like I do. Um, so I do understand like if I get up on my soapbox or whatever, and people were like, we were just trying to hang out. 
Um, I, I, I get that. So I, I don't want to cross that line. Um, but I, but I actually really appreciate when other people in my life and other friends see an opportunity like that to just, you know, if it's just asking me about myself and giving me the space to talk about autism, or if they have a specific question or something that relates to the conversation that's autism related and giving me the opportunity to offer my perspective and insight. Um, I, I, I think that is like allyship to me, like talking about autism in mixed company as if it's just another thing that we talk about. Right, um, because that's part of taking the stigma away is you know feeling comfortable talking about it in everyday conversation without um, without it being talking about autism. Like we're gonna have this serious conversation. It's like no, we're gonna have this like lighthearted conversation about like you know oh yeah, I I love collecting things because I'm autistic and that makes me happy and being like wow, that's like a fun trait that you have, uh, you know, that it makes you slightly more interesting, or I have a more, it, I have a better insight into things that you enjoy or whatever. Um, and not it be like, oh, well, let's talk about autism and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, turn it into this whole, this whole like diatribe or whatever. Um, like just casually mentioning conversation. Um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're we're talking adjacent to it because I think you know uh, some of the people that I'm talking about. But um, I wanted to talk about friendship in this episode. Obviously, that's why I had my longest and best friend on the podcast. So um, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Have to acknowledge that um, this will be a relic of its time when it's released. Um, but uh, currently not seeing people in person, but we've been hanging out more recently by playing World of Warcraft. Uh, yes, yes. You have, I believe, recently gotten into the game, hadn't played it before. Um, I used to play the game religiously, like to, I, I would say like to a detriment. And people think, like video game addiction was a joke. I I do earnestly believe I was legitimately addicted to World of Warcraft from like eighth to tenth grade, um, or like seventh to sixth. When did I start playing? From whenever I started playing World of Warcraft until like high school, uh, because I literally like eat, sleep, breathe World of Warcraft. I read like comics and novels. I was playing as soon as I got home. Um, maybe to a detriment, but. It, I'm autistic. I hyper-focused on a thing. Okay, here we go. Um, but also it was like, it was my escape. And it was also where my friends are. So I, I wanted to talk about this because I feel like our friendship has come kind of full circle and is now in parallel to some of my earliest friendships, which I actually made through World of Warcraft more than, I had friends at school and stuff, but it was like, those are the friends that I saw at school. When I came home, I played World of Warcraft and I played with, you know, people like on the other side of the country or whatever, but I was, you know, like hanging out and meeting my friends and getting to talk to them. And I learned a lot 
about communication and making friends and developing and maintaining relationships mm -hmm. by playing World of Warcraft, which might seem weird, but um, I'm autistic and I'm a little bit weird. And so I, I went, I've, again, talking about a normal conversation, bringing up everyday things, that's something that as an autistic person, I, I learned differently than you guys. Um, and World of Warcraft was for friends for me. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit now. No, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was something that was really, really fascinating because I had, I had known that you had played in the past. Um, and so through, th through all of this pandemic, which has, there, we, there's whole series that could be done about surviving. Yeah, like season three, pandemic. like there's been um, story arcs that have, coming <laughs> but one of the biggest things about it is kind of like reevaluating reevaluating friendships and relationships and more so finding the ways to continue to spend time together and I, I thought it was so fascinating that I had got pulled in through friends which you now also spend time with yeah um, but I had got pulled in through them and then I, I remember at one point uh, you like came and joined us in a voice chat. You were like, what are you guys doing? And I was like, oh, uh, they got me into like World of Warcraft. And you were like, <gasps> what? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it took maybe like a week or two before finally you were just like, all right, I'm back in. What server are you guys on? What are we, do yeah. like, what are we doing? Um, and I thought it was such a... Because this happened towards the, this happened about November, October, November of 2020. And I, I remember having that moment and seeing like both sides of what was at the time, like my life. Like I, I had like my online group and I had my IRL groups um, and seeing them come together so seamlessly and being able to have that moment with you and be able to like share even more of myself with you again because we we would spend so much time pre-pandemic gaming having game yeah. nights board game nights all of the things um and it's really hard to do so when we are quarantining and maintaining social distancing um really hard to get together a group of people for a board game night during this time um and so it was really, really, I, I remember just like having that moment of like us playing together for the first time. And I was like, I know this is like meaningful and impactful and I can't put my finger on why, but like, I just feel it. Like it's that moment of like this moment right here, like actually is like really impactful. I'm just also really excited that I get to show off how cool my werewolf looks to Michael right now. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, so I'm I'm gonna focus more on that side of things right now because I don't have the bandwidth to process that bit of emotion. But it it is really fascinating. And and hearing how much that meant to you growing up and how many how many ways you were able to develop friendships and connections with others through this having it now come full circle and be a part of like our regular weekly relationship and 
um, broadening horizons with like introducing another side of friends um, for us to continue to hang out with. It was really oddly special um, and, and really, really cool. Yeah, I think, because I had been kind of dragged back into World of Warcraft a few times in my life. And it was always like, because I wanted to hang out with people. It, was, it wasn't so much about, I enjoy the game. I like the game itself. Um, but I could play any game and uh, enjoy playing it if I'm playing with people that I enjoy playing that game with. Um, I was also, I've also been uh, was into League of Legends for a very long time because I had a group of people that I could get online and play that game with. So it's always been a social component for me. Uh, video games has. And then when I met you, you were the one that got me into board games uh, in like a larger scale. Um, and like the more, I don't wanna say more interesting, but like not to rag on like Monopoly and sorry, like family board game night, those are fine. But like board games that have like a whole story and like new mechanics that I'd never experienced, like for me are a lot more fun. You were the one that got me into that because you knew a lot about board games. And then that became a social component as well. We started playing board games together. We started playing uh, Arkham Horror regularly with friends to, to the point that I think uh, for a while there, I was like at your house like every night almost where we would play games or we would watch a movie or whatever. Um, so the, the social component has always been a big part of it for me. And then specifically with World of Warcraft, it was one of my earliest um, like social gaming experiences. And it was when I was in middle school. And so I, I learned how to communicate through text messaging more than, so again, getting into developmental delay was a very real part of me being autistic. Um, most kids like learn their social skills in kindergarten it took me until like middle school to start really developing that stuff um so i i remember i was always i always felt like i was really good at texting but really bad at like talking to people in person because i would get nervous or i forget what i was doing blah, blah, blah. um but when i was texting people because uh, i got my phone in middle school so i was texting people all the time and i would send like paragraphs um which is i i realized you know later on i was like oh that's a little bit more of a, a polarizing opinion on whether that's like like good texting etiquette or not <laughs> um but i would i enjoyed texting because someone could send me a message and i could see what they said and i could like break it down i could look through it read it and be like okay what does this word mean but then what could it mean with added subtext? Like I was able to take the time that I needed to read between the lines and kind of uh, um, analyze what was happening. And then I could type out my response and then I could proofread my response, correct this, change this word here, be like, is this saying what I really want it to say? And then I could send it off. And basically it was, it was a skill that I had to eventually learn to like do in real time in my head, but it took me a long time to learn it. And it's something that 
you know, I think some people might take for granted, like people that are very good conversationalists. And I've, I've been told that I'm a good conversationalist now, which is just a, a testament to how you can learn this sort of thing. It, it might, you know, it took me 15 years or whatever, but, uh, but you can learn it. Um, but the, the kind of stuff that you do in your head, like in a split second, I had to stop and take a couple minutes in a text message, which is an eternity comparatively. Um, and so it was that like back and forth where I started learning how to like read people's subtext, how to form responses, and also how to be like funny and interesting too. Cause I would like pick up on a thing and make a witty response to it or whatever. And then I got into World of Warcraft where we started doing uh, voice chat with our friends and it was like so I took all the things that I learned from text messaging um, and like reading subtext and understanding this is what a person says you know tone and blah 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 and then bringing that into voice chat so I'm like I'm going to practice that in real time but it was through voice chat which meant I didn't have to see the person in person um, which I had a lot of like anxiety about just being in the same room as uh, other people and we weren't doing nonverbals yet it was like baby steps <clears throat> we're like we're gonna deal with simply word choice and grammar and then we're gonna add in tone and pacing by doing voice chat um and then we'll get into in-person conversation where i have to like make eye contact and see if you smiled or frowned or you know little yeah. things like that um that I, I maybe wasn't like consciously like working my way up to it, but I think subconsciously I was like, this is what I'm comfortable with, text. And I, I will talk to people with text, but in person, I'm, I, I kind of clam up. I was a very quiet kid. But then started getting the voice chat and I was like, okay, I'm comfortable talking in voice chat with these people. But then when I go to school and I see people in person, I kind of clam up. I'm like, I'm not ready for that. And then eventually like, by the time I got into high school, and especially when I was in like theater class, I was like really quiet in math class because they weren't like my people. But in theater class, I feel like I connected with people more there. And I found more people to play World of Warcraft. Um, <laughs> and I, and so, and so we would talk about something that I knew about. That was another big factor of it is I played a lot of World of Warcraft. So I knew a lot about World of Warcraft. So if we were, if we're talking about World of Warcraft, I am like, a great conversation was because I know what to say. Um, whereas, you know, I get into school and, you know, we're talking about social things or sports or whatever. Um, and I'm like, I don't know anything about this. So I'm just going to sit down and. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, World of Warcraft was not only like my social forum um, where I could go to find my friends and talk to them and uh connect it was also like one of my like baby steps into working my way up to having an in-person conversation without being you know without shutting down that's so that's really fascinating um and i i i find it so interesting because there are a lot of there are a lot of anxieties about interacting with others and 
hearing it broken down in that way, especially in the context of working on interacting with others and using this video game as the basis for it, I think is really, really fascinating. And um, like, it's a, it's a really, really like cool snapshot into the process of growing up autistic and like, and teaching yourself those things and like working through them. Yeah. And it, it very much is, you know, like, like teaching myself a lot of stuff where I didn't necessarily do anything that other people didn't do. I think everybody else also learned how to understand words and then understand tone and then understand nonverbal communication. But it's where it's then where you get into the conversation of developmental delay. Most neurotypical kids learned that much faster and um, it just, just learned it faster. Honestly, if you think about it, like baby's first words, right? You learn how to say things, right? And so you have little toddlers running around and they're forming entire sentences or whatever. Cool. But then they learn what like tone of voice means, right? When, when dad says no, but he says it like really low and you're like, oh, that means he's serious or he's angry, right? And so they're adding those layers on and then they're learning nonverbal communication when they, uh, you know, start interacting with other kids at school or whatever. And there's, again, this is where I'm not a professional expert or I think babies learn nonverbal communication actually before they learn verbal speech or they're like really good at it. Um, but for the most part, I'm, I just to draw a parallel, like people learn this, like when they're toddlers, it just took me until seventh grade. Right. Um, I went through the same process. It just took me longer. Um, and so, and so because it took me longer, I can kind of lay it out more clearly of mm. how that worked. And like you said, I, I think it's an interesting snapshot as well of like seeing how that process works for, for kind of everyone. But because I took longer with it, I was able to illustrate a more clear picture and actually break down that concept and that process of like seeing what somebody says understanding what somebody says understanding the context of what somebody is saying and what starting, i'm saying as well then starting to de develop the response to that picking the words to it taking what they're saying into context and subtext with your response um like that's that's really fascinating and really interesting to think about. The, uh, the like final step of that um, actually didn't come until seventh grade. So uh, 12, 15, 14 years later or whatever, um, which was not, or I guess a little bit sooner, but um, I didn't kind of affect the art until college because I, went to school for theater, um, which was how we met. Uh, another way that we connected was through theater. And um, I I never expected that I would end up in theater. It seems like a, if you knew me, if you knew me like two years before you met me, you would have been like, this kid's never gonna be in theater. <laughs> um, 
though my parents have like pointed out some stuff from when I was younger to like, no, it makes sense. And I was very open and uh, showy and presentational when I was comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing is I was never really comfortable out in the outside world. Um, so when I got into theater, we started doing script analysis. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that was like my final graduate studies in communicating with other people in a conversation because that's when you start reading through words and being like what are all of the different things that this could possibly mean depending on the way that you say it right um kind of getting to like meisner sort of stuff where it's like you could say the same word but it could mean like 10 different things depending on tone and inflection and blah 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 um that I probably couldn't have learned this stuff when I was younger. I was, again, I was a child. I was still learning things. And so I had a very rudimentary understanding. But then as like an adult or young adult learning this, I was like, oh, there's like an extra level of this that is like the professional version of communicating um, and learning that I think was what really got me to the point where I am now, where I can kind of take pride in the fact that I am a good communicator because I spent seven years studying it in college. And then also I spent, you know, my whole life studying it uh, growing up. I, I, that's, actually, that's another thing that I find really interesting and, and fascinating because I, I think that it is because it is analyzing scripts, which are like communicating between people. Mm-hmm. and being able to like actually see that on paper and go like this is a conversation between two different people analyze it and tell us what they're saying and then being able to be like okay so I'm not just reading a book and I'm not like reading all the extra stuff I'm, I'm literally just looking down at a page and I'm saying John says this to Judy and Judy says this back what does this mean gives you that moment of being like okay, let me put this into perspective. Let me stop and actively think about this. So you actually pointed out something that I'm now realizing in real time that I didn't even think of until you mentioned it. It does make so much sense that it was scripts in particular that made sense because I read a lot of books when I was younger, but books will tell you what that person felt when they said it and scripts sometimes very specifically don't tell you the feeling in the line. And so I had to fill that in myself, which was like the last step, right? Into mm-hmm. becoming a good commu- interpersonal communicator or whatever. So yeah, it, it's, I hadn't thought of it that way. And that's that I find very interesting that it does make sense that it was scripts in particular that made me get better at this and then also like to think of it as like what a brilliant and interesting opportunity for an autistic person to be like here's a here's just the um the written down version of this person's conversation that you can now spend as much time as you'd like studying and pouring over it and looking at every possible thing because it was something that I was already doing for one um in text conversations and and in in in-person conversations where i was already being like 
okay, so they said this. So what does this possibly mean? Was this a joke? Is this supposed to be meant as a joke or was this serious or both, blah, blah, blah. And then how can I respond to it to make sure that what I'm saying comes across the way that I want it to, right? So it was like, I was already doing this, but then I get into a classroom where they're like, there's a whole, this is a whole like area of study. And like, we, we can like break it down and like put it into a format that is like uh, tangible and you can like work through a process, which for my autistic brain was like, oh, you can give me like clearly delineated steps from one point to another to achieve a goal. Thank you. This is all, this is all that I want as an autistic person is you to just spell it out for me and let me know what I need to do in order to accomplish what I want. Um, so yeah, so script analysis class, even if you have no interest in scripts or being an actor or going into theater, shoot, do it just to like learn how to read, read between the lines, learn about subtext and break down communication. Yeah. Awesome. Brilliant, brilliant uh, class, brilliant area of study. Absolutely. Well, this has been really, really fun today. Yeah, this has been wonderful. We're kind of perfectly on time for what I wanted to, this to be. Um, do you have any closing thoughts, questions, statements? Um, I, I'll say that it is for anybody out there who is neurotypical um, and you are striving to do better, to understand and uplift uh, neurodivergent voices in your communities and in your friendships and in your life, listen to them. Like, like, like just, just listen, just listen. And understand that they are going to they're going to make sure that like you're right alongside them along the way um so just like listen ask questions if you need to do the work on your own do the work on your own yeah. like seriously do do the work on your own like it it shouldn't always come down to the helpful graciousness of your autistic friend to answer the question about being autistic. Um, especially because, again, to reiterate, you meet one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Mm -hmm. And so just using that one instance as your frame of reference is going to end up biting you in the butt at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and more than anything, listen to their stories, talk with them, learn from them. Michael and I today got to talk about everything from World of Warcraft to studying theater and communication uh, to uh, socializing and interacting with uh, other people while uh, openly being autistic, uh, the interplay between queer identity and autism. Uh, and the intersectionality therein. Like, there is so much to talk about and there's so much context. And yeah. I'm continuing to learn more and more from Michael every single day about his life and what it means to him. So 
just do it y'all yeah just do it i think the, the only thing i'd add is like um yeah just like you said like listen and uh let let your friends talk about it and for me i think being a good friend to an autistic person um and i talked earlier about like being an ally being a good friend to an autistic person is letting them talk about it when they want to talk about it but also asking them questions and like showing that curiosity and like intent focused um like energy in investing some time into getting to know them on that level um opening space in conversations to let them talk about their neurodivergent identity or just like what's on their mind what's bugging them whatever um especially like for me sometimes i'm i don't know if i can talk about it here so having that person step in and be like hey tell me about this or expand more or what are your thoughts are like some really great ways to let us know like let me know um like that i i can talk about that here and that it's uh it's uh, okay to be who I am and express who I am, at least to you and hopefully to other people. Um, so yeah, listen, talk, ask questions, um, and and be you know, open-minded, be supportive. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Wes, for chatting with me for all this time. It is always a delight. Um, is there anything that you would like, like? this will be put out as a podcast so is there if somewhere if people are interested in learning more about you where could they find you of course of course uh folks can find me all over the internet on all of the things uh twitch twitter and instagram at wesselhausen w-e-s-s-l-h-a-u-s-e-n uh i am your friendly neighborhood dungeon master i do tons of uh dnd and rpg content with a queer emphasis and focus um i love being able to uh uplift and tell stories and uh share perspectives of those who are not the heteronormative um or the typical uh because far too often our voices uh go unheard um or unlistened to by those of us who aren't ourselves mm -hmm. um so i love being able to uh do what i can to share the voices and perspectives of us ourselves um and uh it is always an absolute pleasure to uh get to spend some wonderful time with you yeah i we didn't even talk about D and D. Oh my god, we'll have to have a whole nother conversation about that because I have a million thoughts. Uh, but yes, thank you very much uh, for joining me today, and uh, I will I will see you again very soon. So. Of course, of course. Thank you.